Welcome to the Holistic University Podcast, featuring your well-being coaches, Sydney and Elena. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Holistic University. I'm your co-host, Elena Siebold. Hi, I'm Sydney Russo. Welcome back. Today, we have a very, very, very special guest, Nick, who is a personal trainer within Campus Rec. How are you, Nick? Doing well. How are you, folks? I'm good. Can you give the folks just a little bit of background of what you do in Campus Rec, your job as a personal trainer? Sure. So for campus recreation, I try to be kind of a bit of a utility man per se. So just try to help out wherever is needed. Um, right now, what we're doing is we're starting a um, kind of revamping our personal training initiative on campus. So we have uh, multiple different online offerings. And on top of that, we are hoping if it soon we'll be able to get some workouts outside towards the end of the semester. And um, preparing for hopeful one-on-one in-persons starting in the fall. That's exciting. And then I also work with the club sports teams as a um, strength conditioning coach. And that's a contracted process. My main team is uh, at the moment is sailing. Nice. Oh, cool. That's cool. I don't know too much about club sports or intramurals. I'm more group X, personal training, health coaching. (laughs) Just for example, like something like sailing, would you have to have a lot of experience with that? Like before you join the club or do you, I don't know, do you get a feel for it when you join? Um, I believe you can just join. I believe there's different levels to it. Uh, I know club sports traditionally more competitive than intramural. So it's kind of like for those that want a similar varsity experience without necessarily the demands of like competing for a varsity division one sport. So it's a little less, but it's more than club sports. Um, so that's probably how I describe it. Um, I, it was, it definitely did help me, um, I grew up sailing. I grew up in a small coastal town, Duxbury, Massachusetts. So it was really helpful for me um, kind of growing up near the bay. I sailed for four or five years growing up. I've been out on a boat in a couple of years, but I understand the demands of the sport. Um, I don't think you have to play a sport to be a good coach for a sport, but I certainly think it helps. That's so cool. And again, I don't coach the technical tactical, like so how they actually sail and how they do the races. I'm just more the physical preparation per se coach for that. So I'm just trying to get them as strong and as fast as they can for their fitness tests and to be as, do as well as they can in their races. That's so cool. I never thought sailing was a sport, but that's so Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's very competitive. It is. That's so cool. Um, so what got you interested in physical activity and exercise? Um, so when growing up, I was actually rather, um, I was rather overweight as a child and kind of, I fell in love with food. Uh, food was my escape. And, you know, as kids, kids can be rather brutal. Um, so I definitely got picked on pretty harshly for that. And my dad played um, college basketball at the division three level. He was pretty good um, and started for a division three school all four years. So we, I kind of just fell in love with basketball, but that was one of the, taller kids for a while. I grew early and kind of from there, I was just like, all right, what do I need to do? So continuing on with the journey, it was like, okay, how do I get better at running? How do I get stronger? How do I improve my diet? Um, Definitely along that path, working with a registered dietitian was extremely helpful. Um, I worked with other personal trainers. So like just, um, I had a personal trainer, I had worked with basketball skills coaches, 
and just really developing kind of a love and passion for physical activity through um honestly just like games and just having fun like i i didn't i didn't i would say the way that i'm physically active now is very different than the way i was physically active like I didn't touch a weight until what 14 ish and I was in my basement like a lot of kids and I wanted to get better at basketball. So I asked my dad and I'm like, Hey dad, can we like, can I just mess around down here? It was like 12, uh, maybe it was 13. I forget the exact age. And he's like, sure. So we just, that's how I learned how to bench press from my dad. Um, and just kind of some dumbbell exercises. That's still super young though. Like 13. I didn't touch a weight until I was like 24. I, hey. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the research out there shows that it's definitely safe to ex, uh, expose um, individuals around that age of 12, 13, 14. Um, before that, they should be exposed more from like a long-term athlete development model to um, much more uh, body weight stuff, control stuff, small-sided games, kind of coordination, running, skipping, jumping, hopping, a lot of those basic movements. You can start to introduce like body weight squats, but I would say probably around the age of 12, 13 is where we can start really, maybe in 14, we can start really playing with the weights. Um, I was unique in that I first started with weights, um, it's either seventh or eighth grade um, was where I got really into it. And there was a summer camp, um, it's called Dragon's Lair because our school mascot was the dragon. And it was run by a certified strength conditioning coach, uh, Rob Ferreira. And working with Coach Rob, that's how I really fell in love with that, that was where I knew I'm like, I need to do something with this because it was pretty early on. I realized the five, nine point guard, I'm not playing in the NBA and I'm not playing in Europe. So we best find a way to make money and love what I do. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't pick up a weight until I was like 14, which like you learn through like general, like elementary school PA or like I'm in the process of getting my um, CPT right now. But you like, it's funny how it's like, the coronation to like the strength and lifting or like holding weights. That's so interesting. Um, so we heard you have this motto, like everyone is an athlete. When did you come up with this and why do you think it's important? Sure. Great question. First off, um, I would say that I came up with like the motto because I honestly, I honestly believe that. I mean, if someone's people think I'm f- 50 or I'm 80. I, I can't be an athlete anymore. Well, no, that's not true. Okay. We may not be playing in the Olympics, but that doesn't mean you're not, you don't have to be athletic. For example, what could be athletic for someone in their eighties or even their nineties? Because I love working with older adults. It's a, it's a passion of mine. Um, is it, I mean, my main thing is athletes, but just helping everyone develop a love for fitness, but digressing a bit, it was more just because I think everyone needs to be strong, needs to be explosive. Um, what could be considered challenging for someone of that age could be getting up from a chair. Well, if you've ever gotten up from a low chair, right. That you gotta be a little powerful. Yeah. I said, it's no joke. I've been stuck there at times. (laughs) Well, no, but like you, you actually see that. And uh, when I was in PT school, we definitely learned a lot of different ways to help with that, but it was kind of just uh, basically enhancing athleticism across the lifespan because we take this such narrow focused view like everyone needs to have this one particular body type and particularly you be both of you being health coaches and monitoring like media's impact on people's perception of weight and the body, um, not even just in females either and males as well. Like the idea that guys should look like Channing Tatum. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'd love to look like Channing Tatum. I mean, but like at the same point in time, like, 
And how does that impact your self-worth? So like, that's how it gets to my other thing that I discussed in my training bio, which was one of the things that's most empowering to me as a coach is particularly when women fall in love with lifting and they start seeing some plates in the bar. And instead of being like, oh, I'm going to get bulky, which has since been disproven multiple, multiple times in scientific articles, that you can have increased confidence. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. No, because I was going to ask you during this time, because like, as I said before, I'm getting trained in CPT and the majority of my exercises is strength and conditioning, like lifting weights, like bench pressing, all that. So it's like there, I always see in the media, the common term of like, oh, women are going to get bulky. You don't want to get bulky, but it's like women don't have the testosterone levels to get isn't that a part of it i know that you could probably explain it a lot better than i can i also feel like that is so that is definitely falling out the window at this point like nobody do people really believe that still i don't know i think that that's few and really wow there's uh there's a lot of women that i've worked with who are sometimes afraid they're like can we stay with like the 15s or 20s i don't want to get too big or too bulky and look i'm not saying like you need to be um, like a female bodybuilder and by no means is that the purpose, but strength is strength. Athleticism is athleticism. The tools that you use to develop that can be wildly different, but what does it like, I guess the way that I just, I'd explain to a client, do I care if we barbell squat, if we dumbbell squat, if you do a bodyweight squat? No, but if we keep doing that, right. As Einstein says, right, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So if all we do is the same weight for three months, eventually you're going to cap out. That means eventually there's going to be no further progress. So uh, fundamental tenant, right, progressive overload. We either need to add more weight or we need to modify the exercise. And it's that point really where, which you folks know so much about, like the cognitive behavioral aspects, the behavior change but we really need to work with our clients because if you think about it, right, true, true effective coaching is the integration. And I'm actually going to quote, I just got off a meeting with uh, some alumni at Yale University. And it was great. Um, one of my good buddies, Tofi Zeminki, he's there uh, right now for strength. And like he just had a quote during our meeting that I'm going to share because I love it. Effective coaching is really the integration of psychology and physiology. Because if we can't connect with someone as a person, does it really matter how much we know? And that's why it's so rewarding getting people who have these preconceived beliefs into training. Yeah. So what advice, because I know a lot of my generation is big on like, I see a lot of people who are fitness accounts lifting weight or fitness accounts preaching other things. What advice would you give to kind of kids in college when it comes to exercising and just like physical activity in general and like taking in the media and everything they're being told to do so that's a fantastic question it's actually a multi-part answer sydney knows i have a tendency to ramble at times i try not to in nutrition class but occasionally i get off on the topic and i just keep going okay i just have to say one thing that's so funny that you said that because it's like every anytime we're on like we don't have zoom anymore right what is it called pinup panopto that we use for nutrition, Panopto. Did I say that right? Okay. So you can't hear the other students ask questions if they're live in person in class. But anytime there's a long silence and the teacher isn't talking, I'm like, Nick's asking a question right now. <laughs> so, yes, I can, I can attest to that. But um, so going back to your going back to your point, kind of about media and kids in college and like every the, the most fundamental thing we must realize is that everyone has a different goal and. 
Um, so, and everyone has a different like psychological makeup, has a different background, has a different upbringing. It has a different relationship with food. Um, I think we need to look at it holistically, but probably the biggest things I would address in college, and I, I'm very direct with this with my clients is like, how's your sleep been? Uh, sleep is common an answer I'll get. What is that? Okay, we got work to do. All right, so then we're like, what's your nutrition been like? Well, I mean, let's be honest, right? We've all been in college or are in college. Uh, I mean, I love pizza as much as the next guy or girl, but does is that the most effective for our goal all the time? And I'm not saying people eat pizza all the time, but you, so then we have to look at the diet and be like, oh, well, if they're really struggling with diet, maybe refer to the campus dietitian or maybe just some basic guidance on like goals. Because what I found is if you think about it, if we're with a person for 45 minutes to an hour, right? We can do, we can do a lot of good. But then there's 23 hours of the day that I'm not there and I'm not babysitting them. And, and I don't use the babysitting like as a, um, parental term per se, but I mean it more from the standpoint that it, it's the same thing with athletes as it is general population clients. I may see, I may be with them two hours, let's say, or two and a half hours. That's great. Well, there's still that other, however many hours during the day that they need to sleep and need to eat. So if their nutrition's not there, their sleep's not there. Hey, even their stress management. Like if I bring someone close to midterms or finals through a high volume workout, uh, by high volume, I mean lots of sets and lots of reps of exercises they're not going to recover the same because their system as opposed to being here is all the way up here. So there's all of those different factors. Did I answer that like satisfactorily or did I, or do you want like more of a like specifics? It's definitely hard without like an individual case. I'm just trying to give like overviews of things I consider programming. No, you, Uh, you made some really great points because it is such like a holistic approach. So yeah, you, you did answer parts of it. I like how you said that too. And I I also just think it's important to remember, like everyone's on a different playing field, you know, not everyone has access to the same things and the same quality of food, even even when it comes down to sleep, like some people don't have access to the quality of sleep that you might be getting, you know, maybe they live in a really noisy apartment building, maybe they live with multiple people and multiple family members. So yeah, it's just important to know, like, you know, you could be giving a dietary and exercise plan and regime to one person, but it's going to affect another person completely differently. Exactly. Um, And I think what you said as well, um, just the point about the social media usage, I think we have to be careful with that. Um, I think there's some fantastic information, absolutely fantastic information that's shared out on social media um, by nutrition, about sleep and about training. I think that the that there's even people I follow that I'm like, this is really good. I, I like some of this. I think the key that we need to do, particularly for those who aren't in particular fields, is what's their filter or one of the things I bit like a lot is like what's their media literacy is a term you'll see thrown around a lot. And obviously they can read and write and all of that. So I'm not using like the literacy term and that means it's more how can they break down the information? So if we look at a fitness account, right? So popular fitness influencers. I mean, I I don't know, to be honest, a lot of them because a lot of my content, I don't base off that. I base off um, what's the best current research. What have I found at internships that's worked? And honestly, what has worked with an individual client? Um, You can have three, three people, identical age, right? Identical gender, all do the same exercise and it can look and feel totally different. So I can say that like, this is a good exercise 
but like, how do I know that's a good exercise? So that that's probably my answer. Like, I can't sit here and say like, good account, good account. Oh, go follow Jen Selter. She's amazing. I don't know if you know who that is or go follow like whoever. Right. But that's, that's kind of how I'd approach that. Yeah. That's some really good points. Yeah. So I wanted to ask, what are some of the best training habits you've seen people get into? And also what are some common mistakes that you see people making at the gym? Sure. Honestly, one of the best training habits is keeping a training log. Um, whether that training log is in a pen and paper or pencil and pencil and paper, or if it's on your phone or if it's on an app, um, I'm old school. I bring a, I mean, I don't have it here, but it's in my gym bag, but I bring a um, five subject notebook to the gym and I have my date, my time, my workouts, weights lifted, all of that for my own workouts. And I track every one of my clients' workouts in Google Sheets that I can share with them so that way we can see progressions and weight. You can graph it and all of that. So that's one of them. The other one I would say is kind of like a general understanding of nutrition. So what I mean by that is what do you eat after a meal? Um, again, that's a variable question, but preferably something high in protein and high in carbohydrate, um, depending on your particular goal. Um, that's definitely a habit. So just trying to read that. And probably the biggest thing that I found that's helpful is curiosity. Um, ask questions. I mean, that's really what we're here for. There's nothing I love more than when someone like a client or an athlete comes to me and they're like, coach I, or Nick, I don't, obviously my clients don't call me coach. Um, Nick, what do you, what do you think about this? Or what do you think? Or, Hey, I saw this really cool workout. What do you think? Then we can have a productive discussion because to me, the most effective training trainer trainee relationship isn't dictatorial. It's a partnership. Um, as far as some things that I've found that have been particularly um, ineffective, probably program hopping is one of them that comes to mind. So what I mean by that is like, they'll be like, oh, this is a really cool program. They found it online and they do it for like two weeks and they don't see progress. And they have a new program they do it for two weeks and they don't see progress. And they see a little progress and then they change that they didn't see enough. Well, then the question becomes, is it the program's fault or is it the fact that you didn't give the program a chance? Because not to go in on a muscle physiology rant, because I mean, that may be my PhD. I, I don't know. I have like nine different ideas on that, but um, it's, it takes more than two weeks to see those adaptations realized. So mm-hmm. that's one of the big ones. And then another major, I guess, pitfall I'd find is the idea that you can outrun or outlift a bad diet. You can't, I'm sorry, the literature and not side studies, but like literature, the science, all of that you, you can't. Like, and ACSM, American College Sports Master, just did a nice presentation on this. You can work out hard, but if your diet is terrible, you're going to see some adaptation. Any beginner or novice exercise, you're going to see some positive adaptation. The degree of that adaptation that you're going to see is going to be influenced on this. So if we look at someone with weight loss, for instance, right? If someone presents and their main goal is, I want to lose X amount of weight. First, we have to make sure, is that a healthy amount of weight? Second, we have to make sure, is that fair? And third, we have to make sure on top of that, and whether it's an athlete in a weight class sport or not, do we detect any possible signs of eating disorder here that may merit referral? Because some people try to overcompensate for 
And they're like, if I exercise and then they'll go exercise and then they'll go exercise and they'll go exercise. So that leads to maladaptive coping strategies. So I think those are definitely some things that uh, we need to be very cognizant of. Yeah, I like yeah. I like a lot how you're touching on nutrition because a lot of times and I hear this, I see this all over social media of like, oh, like, or even just like in my age group, it's like, oh, like weekend out having fun and oh we're gonna go to the gym and like burn it all off or oh we're gonna go to the gym and whatnot but then it's like but then like you know you have those like really other great accounts but people not realizing that like a lot of the work is in the kitchen I've heard that phrase a lot like a lot of the work you need to do is okay it's after the workout or before the workout like what are you consuming in between the times to replenish your muscles and your body so yeah and then I mean the other thing is stress like from from a stress management perspective one of the other things that i found is is your workout causing you stress and i don't mean physical stress a workout should cause some physical stress because there should be some point of adaptation right we just look at that from an anatomical perspective but if you're stressing out about i have to be perfect on this and i have to be perfect on that and your workout is furthering your anxiety cycle or is furthering or is going to lead to a depressive episode later um, then we really need to take a look at what are we doing and how can we make this a more healthy relationship with exercise? Because the whole goal is, as we all know, is how can we keep people active? At the end of the day, as a trainer, I don't care if you want to lift weights, if you want to get better running, if you want to get better cycling, that's your goal. My job is to help you accomplish that goal. So I think the thing is like, don't be married to the method be willing to modify the principles to the individual in front of you. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I'm glad you said that too, because it's like a lot of things you're talking about, you know, with the um, planning out your workouts and being really methodical about it. And, you know, with the diet, concentrating on that, that's great probably for someone that's, you know, just has a good relationship with diet and exercise to start out with. But for the people, you know, that are maybe just starting to try to reintroduce exercise or maybe their relationship is kind of rocky, I'm sure you'd approach the methods and whatnot differently. Definitely. Yeah. And even stress too, I was going to mention, like, if you do have an individual who is great, who understands the diet and exercise and has it all figured out, like changing the program if the stress is also causing exhaustion because like I've I hate to admit it but like I would have points where it's like I have so much going on in school I'm working out I'm eating right but my working out like I just burn out and I'm in complete exhaustion for the rest of the day because of what I did at the gym so it's also reevaluating that way one of the biggest things I would probably want people that listen to this to take away at least from my perspective is you don't have to and look i encourage people to go to the gym i love the gym i'm a weightlifter clearly but um during stressful times it could be as simple as getting outside and walking it's 68 degrees today or 65 where where, at least where i'm from in downtown province so i can't wait to get outside once like when i have some time this afternoon just away from work so i think it's i mean look at you are at campus right obviously respecting social distancing guidelines and being safe being smart but like okay, you're stressed during midterms, just go walk around a little bit on campus, get some friends and go for a walk. There's that forest uh, near campus, like the forest and the trail for people that are aware about it. Like, I don't know if they're doing bike rentals now because of um, 
because of COVID, but like whether it's if you have a bike or you're able to walk or run or whatever, like get outside or do yoga or something like that. Like it doesn't, if we have this conception in, in I'm going to make generalization in the United States that to, to lose weight and to be healthy one, it has to occur in the gym. Well, it, it doesn't, it doesn't. Okay. You don't like the gym or, Oh, you don't feel comfortable in the gym because someone feels like they're being objectified because I, I can't speak as a guy on what this is like, but some of my friends that are female strength coaches, I mean, they, we've talked about it like before, like they have a feeling sometimes they'll get objectified out there. Like guys will be like, Oh my gosh, how are you lifting so much? You okay. Do you need a spot? And then other weirder stuff. Right. And it, it's, it, it becomes a little bit unfortunate that creates a further negative feedback loop with um, continued physical activity. So I think the big thing's just, it can be as simple as going for a walk. I mean, if it's really cold out, it can be as simple as just like walking the stairs in your dorm if you're allowed to do that. Like it doesn't have to be this extremely complex regimented thing. Yeah, that's I like how you said that. And I feel like that, you know, that flexibility is just so important for like long term sustained physical activity throughout your whole life, probably. And I'm sure you'd probably agree, you know, if somebody's like, uh, you know, I'm doing this regimen, I'm doing this exercise routine, but it's a beautiful day outside. And I'd really just rather walk with a friend and stuff like taking a day off of, you know, your regular cycle and routine for mental health and just to get outside is probably more beneficial than you stressing and hating your workout anyways. Right. Yeah. So we heard that, well, we've also heard from Courtney because she's all of our bosses, but we heard that Campus Rec has started a program called F45. Can you give our listeners a little bit more information about that? Sure. So F45 stands for Functional 45, and it's a um, group team-based environment where it's going to be like different challenges kind of per se. So it's going to be a workout, uh, high motivation, high energy. So there's part, half of the two-tell group exercise studio is now going to be devoted to F45. So if you haven't already seen it, I strongly encourage you to um, go check it out. It's really cool. I'm excited about it. But um, we're actually in the process right now, myself and others, of having a... Um, F45 certification come up. So the personal trainers on campus will actually be teaching those classes and certified by F45. It's going to be a great way to get like a group environment going. And I think one of the biggest things that quarantine is, or not quarantine, I should say, but COVID has taught a lot of us is if we didn't already appreciate it's how important social opportunities are provided it's safe. So one of the great advantages I think about having this is it's like that sense of community. So when we look, I won't compare it to CrossFit because they're definitely different, but a similar thing about CrossFit, like if you're familiar with CrossFit, right, is that family environment or like gyms where you felt really comfortable or location where you felt really comfortable or like the, you uh, have like a favorite coffee shop if you're a coffee drinker or a tea drinker, right? What's special about the coffee shop? Is it always the tea or is it the people? So that's kind of what we're hoping is we end up getting with F45 is that group environment that's intense and the ability to tailor it towards like, hey, you know what? It's Greek week. We're going to have like discounted rates for the sororities and fraternities. Or, hey, you know what? This is club sports wants a customized F45 class for this. All right, we can customize this for them or um, an intro class, stuff like that. So it's going to present a lot of ways for us to continue our offerings in um, campus recreation. So I'm really excited for it. I'm excited cool. too. It looks awesome. Yeah. 
So we have two questions that we always ask our guest speakers when we have them on. So first off, what are some of your favorite self-care practices? Sure. Um, so one of my favorites, honestly, is journaling. Um, I do, I have a um, gratitude journal. So I fill it out ideally every morning. Uh, if I'm up at four with teams, it doesn't usually get done in the morning. It'll get done later on in the afternoon. But um, I write uh, five to seven things, just a number I came up with, no research behind the five to seven, um, things that I'm grateful for today, whether it's my dog, my family, my work, my athletes. So that's one that's been very effective. Um, I meditate. So I don't do that every day, but when I get really stressed out, there's a couple of meditations I really like. Um, and honestly, my primary one is I love the train. Um, I'm a competitive Olympic weightlifter. So just being able to get out there and lift weights makes me happy. Um, and I also am a daredevil. So I love uh, mountain biking, climbing, bouldering. Um, I want to go base jumping at some point. I want to go wingsuits. I want to jump out of an airplane. Those are all things that like I love to do. Um, so definitely challenge. You had me, you had me at wingsuits. That's <laughs> That's like that flying squirrel thing, right? I mean, I would like to not call myself a flying squirrel, but yes, Sydney, that is. <laughs> Terrifying. Oh sounds amazing. You just got to hope there's not boulders or cliffs. Depends <laughs> on where you're jumping from. <laughs> hey, you got to be careful. But no, uh, there's some expeditions. It's something I want to do. And then um, I'd say probably the last self-care thing is like, obviously we live in New England, so it's cold too much. But um, I love playing golf as well. Um, cause I find that's like a social, social distance thing that can be done. And I got out a lot in the fall when it was, uh, nice. Nice. That's awesome. Okay. We want to know what your favorite food is. We know you were just making chicken. Oh boy. So. My favorite healthy food or my favorite your food? Your favorite in food in general. Oh, food, yeah, is food. No. food is food. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We don't like to label food good and bad. <laughs> Um, my favorite food in general is my stepdad's, uh, feast of the, or my stepdad's, um, pasta dish. So he makes a, um, dish, it's a Thai stepdad's pasta dish or stepdad's, uh, uh, eggplant Parmesan. So the pasta dish is like pasta and a white wine garlic sauce with mus mussels, um, steps, clams, shrimp, swordfish, and a bunch of other fishes. And it's so good. Um, so that's probably my favorite. I like the Italian theme. <laughs> My favorite. That got me hungry. I don't no, know. Maybe good. Sydney should make some cookies. <laughs> no, no, no. Getting... I don't really know how to transition back to we'll, that. We'll go into that next week when it's just Sydney and I. But thank you so much for joining us, Nick. It was such a pleasure to finally talk to you and meet with you and have a personal trainer on the podcast. But I'm going to close us off. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Tune in next week for Sydney and I and let us know through the Campus Rec Instagram or our email for any topics, people you want to have on. And with that, I'm going to sign off. Thank you, guys. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening. 